Please pray with me. Father, breathe your Spirit into my mind, into my heart, into my words. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So, tell me, hypothetically, what do you think of our reading from 2 Kings? Does Elisha seem a little pushy? A little bit insistent, maybe irritating? Of course, sometimes with a different language, a different original language, with a different culture, there's things that we don't understand, and it, it, it can be hard to tell. But still, Elijah makes three trips in the same day. Each time he turns to Elisha and says, stay here. And Elisha says, basically not on your life. I'm going with you. I will not leave you. That's kind of insistent. Elisha had determination. How about you? Have you ever wanted something, as the expression goes, so badly you could taste it? Have you ever really, really, really wanted something and were desperate for it? So many of us now are watching the Olympic Games. So many athletes from so many countries. And most of them will have a common story of love for their sport. But even more than that, they'll have a common story of desperately wanting to achieve the very best possible and sacrificing so much of their young lives to achieve it. They will be able to share stories of pushing through and overcoming injuries and continuing to work out in bad weather and overcoming adversities and beating back everything that would keep them from their goal and ultimately triumphing because they're champions, every one of them. They would share stories of being mindful about what they take into their bodies, what they eat, what they drink, what they're around. They'd be very mindful of what their attitudes are. Because to be a champion, you've got to keep a winning attitude. And when they're really honest and really open with each other, they'd be able to share stories of setbacks and discouragement and of rising up to eventually overcome every one of them. And they'd share stories of sheer drive and desire to be the best. The desire to, to win, motivate, motivating them to get up, to do, to achieve, to overcome, to do more. Can you imagine any of the coaches of these young men and these young women saying to any of them, Well, gosh, I really appreciate your love for the sport. And you, you really are pretty good at it. But I think you're egotistical. I want you to quit aiming to win. I want you to aim for mediocrity, the middle of the way. Don't achieve, don't overcome anymore. Just be content to be who you are. Relax and don't achieve. What would you think if Urban Myers got up in front of the Jaguars and told his players to quit trying to be the best? Who do they think they are? 
Aim for mediocrity. Aim for doing enough to get by. Who knows, maybe they have been. But he wouldn't be much of a coach if he did that, would he? What kind of a coach? What kind of a coach do you think God is? Do you think God wants his people to be satisfied just being spiritual bench warmers? Do you think he wants his people to be content with spiritual mediocrity? Middle of the road, that's good enough. None of this achieving stuff. Or does he want more for us? More for each of us who bear his name than just mediocrity, than just doing enough to get by. In our reading sometime earlier, God had told Elijah to go and anoint Elisha. And Elisha went and he threw his cloak over, over Elisha. The symbol that Elisha was to be Elijah's successor. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think God chose Elisha? Could it be that he chose Elisha because he saw that desire for spiritual greatness that was lurking in in Elisha? That desire to be something more for his, his Lord, his Master, than what he had been. Or could it be that after he had selected Elisha, that God himself breathed into Elisha that desire to excel spiritually? Of course, as we read between the lines a bit, you don't have to read between the lines much. It seems the Lord had revealed to many people that day that it would be Elijah's last day, that that God was going to take Elijah away. And so Elijah knew it, Elisha knew it, and the company of the prophets knew it, that Elijah's time on earth was nearly over. Soon he'd be caught up and taken away in an amazing display of God's power and in an amazing acknowledgement, an amazing affirmation of Elijah's power and authority in his walk with God. At the prompting of the Lord, Elijah begins visiting the schools or the companies of prophets. The Hebrew is literally the sons of the prophets. Groups he had likely established, likely supported, likely taught and mentored. Could Elijah, in the midst of all of this, been looking at this going, well, could it be that maybe Elijah is going to choose someone else to be a successor? In 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets, or the sons of the prophets at Bethel, came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know. Elisha responded, but don't speak of it. Now, the Hebrew that I learned in seminary, and I did have to learn it, has all but evaporated, I I hate to say. 
But I went and I looked at all the commentaries, and they basically said that when Elisha, uh, Elijah is saying, stay here, he's using a very polite form of it. It's as though he is saying, hey, my recommendation is, why don't you stay here and I'll go on ahead. But Elisha says, no way. I am not going to be parted from you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay at your side. And apparently Elijah goes, okay, whatever. Come on. And they went. It happens two more times as Elijah is, again, recommended by the Lord to go see the companies of prophets in the various villages. And he says, Elijah, Elisha, you stay here. I'm going to go on. And Elisha says, uh-uh, I am not going to stay here. I am going to be at your side. I am not going to leave you. Elisha's heart was setting and staying by the side of his human, his earthly master. The one from whom he was learning. The one who was teaching him. Two more times the sons of the prophets ask Elijah if he knows that the Lord, Elisha rather, if he knows that the Lord will take Elijah away. So in total, three times, Elisha declares his determination to stay by the side of Elijah. I will not leave you. I will go with you every time. Even though his departure is near, Elijah continues his mission. Elijah continues his, his ministry. And Elisha continues staying by his side. So through the power of God together, they cross Jordan. And then in verse 9 we read, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied. Now, that's pretty direct, isn't it? Now, if we understand the culture, it may not quite be as demanding as what it sounds like. Because in that culture, when, the, uh, when somebody was about to die or was dying, the eldest son got the double portion. So it could be that what Elisha is asking Elijah is... I want, to, I want you to make public, to declare, I am your successor. I'm the one. That's one possibility. The other is that he is saying, everything that you have, everything that you are, the spiritual power, the spiritual authority that you have, I want it. And it well, could well be that it's both. What you've got, I want. Perhaps the Lord is still raising up someone to take Billy Graham's place. But what if there was somebody at his side saying, What you have, I want. I want your spiritual power. I want your spiritual authority. Would that not be a good thing? Do you think that that request displeased Elijah? Do you think that request displeased God? What if Elijah had said he was willing to accept oh, just a little portion of your power? That would be enough. 
Doesn't that sound more humble? Doesn't that sound more pleasing to our modern ears? Oh, just a little bit. It'd be enough. I don't want to be greedy. But what would it have meant for the kingdom of God if Elijah's successor had only a little bit of the power that Elijah had? What would it have meant for God's mission? What would it have meant for God's people if the successor to the great Elijah was just a diminutive copy, something less? Would that have pleased God? Would that have benefited the kingdom? But Elisha's heart and his persistence is rewarded. And God grants to Elisha what he had desired. And the ministry that Elijah had started, Elisha now carries forward in the same power and the same authority that Elijah had. And from that, can we not assume, infer, that God was pleased with the desire of Elisha's heart? Or does God desire followers who are spiritually mediocre, weak in power, weak in authority, weak in aspiration to be more? Is He looking for halfway Christians? Or instead, does He prefer followers to aspire to spiritual excellence, spiritual greatness, to have His power, to have His authority? What would please His heart? My seminary hired a new professor while I was there. I was about done. I didn't have too many classes left to take. Just something about this guy impressed me. He had two earned PhDs. He didn't become a believer until he was a professor in college. Then he went off and got another master's degree and got another PhD. And now he is coming to teach at my seminary. But you know, it wasn't the two PhDs that impressed me. It was his heart for God. He's still there. I know he's about to retire. Jeffrey Niehaus is his name. But you know, I was so impressed with him that I decided I'm going to t- I don't need another class in Hebrew. He's a professor of Hebrew. But I'm going to go take one. I just want to find out what this guy's about. And so I took the class, and I was impressed. And when the class was over and I couldn't be accused of being a sycophant, I went to his office and I told him that. And I'm sitting in front of his desk, and he's sitting, and he takes off his glasses and he sets them down and he looks at me and he says, You know, I have purposed in my heart that I am going to be a spiritual giant. And I have to admit, I was taken back. I'd never heard anyone talk like that. It, it kind of seemed prideful. But the more I thought about it, 
I began to ask myself, why not? Would God, or rather, why would God prefer mediocrity? Why would God prefer spiritual weaklings? Why would He prefer people that sound humble and aspire to nothing over people that say, I want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. I want to be a spiritual giant, not a spiritual ant. Why not? More than once, Jesus' disciples had argued about who among them would be the greatest. And for years I would read those stories. And I never realized that God, that Jesus never rebuked them for that. He corrected them, but He never told them they were wrong to want to be the greatest. An example of that is in Mark 9.33. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. What he didn't say is, You guys need to quit worrying about who's the greatest. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to strive to be the greatest. That is not what he said. What he said is, here's how you do it. You're doing the wrong way. If you want to be the greatest, and I want you to be the greatest. I want every one of you to be the greatest. You do it by service. This is how you become great in the kingdom. It was that, not how dare you want to become great in the kingdom. He gave them the instructions on how to go about it. Listen to the Apostle Paul, who also described himself as the chief of sinners, as he writes about his spiritual aspirations in Christ. Philippians 3, chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever is to my profit... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature must take such a view of things. Do you perhaps hear the determination of an Olympic athlete in Paul's words? If you don't there... How about here in 1 Corinthians 9.24? Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. 
But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Do you hear Paul's desire to excel? Do you hear his desire to win in the spiritual arena? Do you hear that he wants all of his readers to have that same desire, that same drive to win the prize? So how about us? Have we ever wanted something so badly? So badly that we could taste it? Have we ever wanted something so badly that we're willing to put forth whatever the necessary effort is, whatever the sacrifice that's demanded to get that prize. How about in the realm of the Spirit? At some point in time, or at some point beyond time, this world and all of our worldly achievements are going to melt away. What then? What then? Will we strive instead with the Apostle Paul for that crown which will last forever? Or will we settle for what melts away? Paul always wanted his readers to have more of God, to have more spiritual power. After telling the church in Corinth about the fact that they needed to do everything that, that they were doing in love, He encouraged them to eagerly desire, to eagerly seek spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. That at the direction of God, they could speak the mind and the heart of God at His his command. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So what are you and I eagerly desiring? Yeah. The spiritual life begins and ends with grace. And it's sustained by grace. And it's empowered by grace. But, can't we see from these verses that the spiritual life of power and authority required aspiration, hard work, and sacrifice. In our reading this morning, Elisha persisted. And in persisting, he received what he sought. Second Corinthians 2.11 As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak, the cloak that Elijah had cast over his shoulders once before. The cloak that had fallen from Elijah. And he went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, 
And he crossed over. The sons of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they met him and bowed to the ground before him. What do you think God would want of us, of you, and of me? Is He calling us to mediocrity or is He calling us to spiritual greatness? Is He satisfied when we're satisfied with only a little spiritual power and only a little spiritual growth? Or is He calling us to more? What is it in the last battle of the Chronicles of Narnia? Was it higher in and deeper, higher up, deeper in and higher up? So what's standing in our way? If you think you're too young to aspire to spiritual greatness, think again. Think again and consider the prophet Samuel who began to hear directly from the Lord and speak the word of the Lord before he was a teenager. Do you think you're too old to aspire to spiritual greatness? Think again. Think again. Think of Moses, who was directed by God to go and challenge Pharaoh and lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and lead them across the desert into the promised land. And his ministry started at age 80. I think God was delighted when my seminary professor first purposed in his heart that he would become a spiritual giant. And I'm convinced from Holy Scripture that this really is what God wants from each of us or for each of us. So how do we start this journey into spiritual greatness? We start first by determining to make the journey in the first place. Having that desire. Determining in our hearts that with God's help we will become spiritual giants. And then we employ the tools that we probably already know about. We choose to read and meditate on the Scriptures. We choose to spend time, real time, and honest prayer. I again think of C.S. Lewis when he said that real prayer is the real me coming before the real God. The honest me coming before the God is revealed in Scriptures. And we strive to hear the Holy Spirit's voice in our mind and our hearts. And we choose to meet together with like-minded and like-gold believers to encourage one another and sometimes to admonish one another. And of course, we choose to serve one another in Christ because it's the servants that become great. Like those Olympic athletes, we may be able to share with one another the stories of pushing through and overcoming adversities and overcoming all sorts of obstacles. We may be able to share stories of being mindful of what we take into our spirits, what we watch and what we listen to, what we gain from the Scriptures and from the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. And in those moments when we're really honest with each other, and I hope they come to all of us, May we be able to share the stories of setbacks and discouragements and then of rising up in the determination and the power of God to eventually overcome them, perhaps with the help of our brothers and sisters to overcome them. 
May we be able to share stories of sheer drive and desire to be the best. The desire to win. To win for the kingdom of God. But unlike those worldly athletes, may we remember that our goal is not to compare ourselves with one another or to brag, but that together someday we would be able to lay our crowns of victory at the feet of Jesus and together worship Him and give Him praise and glory. For it can only be His desire and His power within us that can bring these things to pass. Some of you will be familiar with what's been recorded as the Zimbabwe Covenant. It captures so much of this. It goes, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die is cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus. I will not look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreamed dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, or popularity. I do not have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now, I now live by faith, lean on God's presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer and labor by power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way rough, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not give up, shut up or let up. I will go on until Christ comes and work until Christ stops me. I am a disciple of Christ. So let us ask God to give us the desire. To give us the desire to do whatever it takes to challenge ourselves and one another to become spiritual giants in Christ. Please pray with me. Father, do not let us be afflicted by that false humility that would cripple the kingdom of God and the church. Give us the wisdom to know what you have called us to. That your goal for us is to be spiritual giants. But also give us the wisdom to know that that means giants in serving one another and bringing the kingdom to the world. In Jesus' name.